For years, we have been hearing about rising tensions in our territorial waters in the West Philippine Sea. The waters and territories in the South China Sea have been the cause of disagreement among Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, Brunei, Taiwan, and most notably China, whose sweeping claims of sovereignty over the disputed territories have been linked to the untapped bounty of resources that the sea potentially brings. While we have won a part of this fight, we have a government that refuses to assert our win, citing the need to pivot to China and assert an independent foreign policy. Why should we care about issues relating to the country's international relations and diplomacy? And what should we know about our country's territorial disputes and foreign policy? Let's answer these questions and more in this episode. Because territorial disputes, international dispute resolution, Philippine foreign policy, hindi Hi, I am Lee Candelaria. I am Aaron Maliar. And I'm Vekal Porha. And you are listening to Podcast, Conversations on Philippine History, Politics, and Society. Hello sa lahat ng nakikinig sa atin ngayong araw ng Pasko. Sana masarap ang Noche Buena ninyo kagabi. True. At kahit na bakasyon, nakikinig pa rin kayo sa podcast. Maganda yan, ano? Kasi wala namang pinipiling panahon ng pagkakatuto. Totoo yan. So, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas sa inyong lahat. <laughs> At itong topic natin ngayon, ito yung isa sa mga issue na kapag naririnig natin, parang ang komplikado. Sabi ko nga sa intro natin, no? This issue in the South China Sea have been hogging our headlines. But I guess because it is an issue that has a lot of factors and variables, mahirap itong i-digest fully. And if you're going to look back through time, hindi lang naman itong West Philippine Sea or South China Sea ang territorial dispute na pinagdaanan o pinagdaanan natin sa kasalukuyan. So in this episode, tuhugin na natin yung iba't ibang mga international territorial disputes natin. At later, ikonekta natin ito sa kung paano ba dapat natin tingnan yung issue ng territorial disputes kaugnay ng ating foreign policy at syempre, pati na rin sa papalapit ng eleksyon. Kaya naman para sa episode na ito, we talk to a professor of political science from the University of the Philippines, Diliman, Professor Herman Joseph Kraft. He specializes in regional security and security issues in the Philippines and Southeast Asia. At siya rin ang chairperson ng UP Department of Political Science. Tinanong natin siya, paano ba natin dapat unawain ang usapin katulad ng territorial dispute? Here is how he replied. It starts basically with the idea of sovereignty, right? That is to say that when we talk about the... Um, notion of territory, no, it's one of the elements of the state, right? We identify the state as territory, no, which has a permanent population, a government that governs it, over which uh, that government is exercising the sovereignty that emanates from whichever legal entity uh, has granted it, no, the people, etc., etc. So in, in that sense, that becomes important because when you talk about disputes, it means that or the idea of a territorial dispute, it means that that territory has a number of states claiming sovereignty over it, right? In other words, the idea of which state is sovereign over this uh, particular territory is disputed in that sense. Uh, there is no single state that has sovereign authority over that particular piece of ground, geographical reference point, no, and so on. So it's disputed because a number of states actually claim sovereignty over it. 
which state is sovereign or has authority or supreme power over a territory. When a territory is disputed, more than one state claims sovereignty over the territory. So, yun yung sabi ni Herman. Simple lang naman pala, no? At kadalasan, nangyayari itong dispute na ito sa mga borders o mga hangganan ng mga bansa. And you would think na archipelagic naman ang Pilipinas. So, bakit tayo may territorial disputes? Well, kasi hindi lang lupa ang pinagagawan, pati dagat. Sabi nga natin sa intro natin, yung South China Sea or West Philippine Sea halimbawa, an estimated 190 trillion cubic feet of natural gas at 11 billion barrels of oil ang nandyan. So talagang pag-aagawan yan. So when there are tons of resources involved, mahalaga ito para sa mga estado kasi through the utilization of these resources, the respective countries can fund their governments and develop according to their plans. But motivations are not always resource-based, ha? Meron ding usapin ng relihiyon, ng independence, at ipapa. Pero amidst all these sources of the disputes, how are these disputes resolved? We asked Sir Herman about this. The most simple, actually, is bilateral, or or at least um uh, the those who are involved in the dispute, no. So usually it's two countries, right? Two two states are involved. So in which case that means that the ones the 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 states who are involved in the dispute negotiate amongst amongst themselves, no, and agree as to how sovereignty is to be. I, I hate to talk about the idea of shared, hindi shared, pero, pero kumbaga, how to determine sovereignty, right? Parang ganun yung magiging, magiging basis niya. Yun yung pinakamandali. It's, it's the easiest, no? simply because it doesn't involve anybody else and it's the simplest way by which the dispute can actually be settled. Although, of course, these kinds of processes may take decades as well. Like we had a dispute with Indonesia, for instance, And in terms of our borders in the South, no, which is very porous, really, uh, parang sinetta lang natin, nasan talaga yung linya, no, parang ganon. And that took decades for us to settle. No, yun yung isang ano doon. So, and that's between two friendly countries. No? So, you can see how complex no, uh, and complicated these things could actually be. But, but that illustrates also that it might be the simplest way by which na, that these things can actually be settled. No? Um, Diretsong negotiation lang between those who are involved in the, in the dispute. Um, the second one no, would, of course, be And for many, this is already an extreme, no? Parang if you're talking about the issue of the determination of who has sovereignty over a piece of ano, territory, no? Um, usually, may international mechanisms kakagad dyan, no? And that's the International Court of Justice. That is the platform where these kinds of issues can actually be settled. But I think this is the point here. For any claims of disputed territory to be settled no, by the ICJ, the parties involved actually have to be have to agree to be part of that so hindi po pwede na sabihin natin we have a dispute with another country no for instance and then dadalhin natin sa ICJ and then we will ask the ICJ to settle you know hindi ganun yon both parties or all the parties who are actually involved should actually agree to bring the case to the ICJ no so yun yung isang yun yung yun yung pinakaano mo na parang Um, uh, it's something that can be settled amongst the different, ano, the different uh, claimants, no? Or you bring it to the ICJ because you cannot. Sometimes, I won't say it's actually settled, no? 
of course violence can be part of the whole thing no <laughs> isang ano dito no uh, that you seize the territory and then you dare others to actually push you out of it no isang ano doon so you have effective control right and effective control actually more often than not means that well uh, you can because control doesn't only mean that your laws apply that means you can also extract the resources from there no and so on that's another way of doing it although that is a way that is frowned upon internationally other mechanisms not to a large extent is related to what the ICJ case illustrates no parang you could actually ask somebody to arbitrate it countries can offer good offices so that the disputant countries can actually settle it and negotiate para kumbaga kahit na sabihin natin gusto nilang i-negotiate ang hirap kasi na diretsuhan eh, di ba? So, another country can offer its good offices. Siya, siya yung magiging basis. Siya, siya yung mag-ano na, wala, hindi, wala akong party dito, kaya lang dito sa, sa, sa amin ninyo gawin yung negotiation ninyo. No? Uh, so that hindi magiging issue yung sino yung lamang dahil hinuhost niya yung meeting. So, third party, good offices, no? pwede, pwede rin yung ganong klaseng, ano. or it could be, like I said, it could be arbitrated. But, but arbitration usually through the ICJ or it would be difficult. There have been cases in the past na kung saan a third country was asked to arbitrate. Kumbaga, neutral arbiter siya. Siya yung naging korte na kung saan pinresentan ng mga ano. You don't usually hear of this now kasi nga you already have the ICJ now. No? But before, that was one way of doing it. No? These kinds of issues can be settled through the of a particular country that both parties have agreed to present yung kaso nila. So you have those kinds of different mechanisms. No? But, but like I said, in the end, for any of those things to actually happen, initiating it requires the agreement of all the parties concerned. Kaya territorial disputes always fester. Eh. Kasi parang those involved in dispute tend to overthink the issue. Baka mamaya, if we agree to do it this way, sini baka madihado tayo and, and, and so on. So um, it's actually an interesting thing, but I'm not too sure who really gains from the fact that you just want to kick the can down the road. So it takes a long time. Nabanggit ni Sir Herman yung border issues natin with Indonesia, which took 20 years or so to resolve. And this was between friendly countries pa. What more kung may quote-unquote away yung iba doon sa mga bansang ka-dispute nila? Sir Herman also mentions na meron na mga mga napag-decision ng mga mechanisms like international courts, nabanggit niya ICJ. Pero crucial dito na kailangan i-recognize ng mga bansa yung authority ng court to rule over the issue at hand. Siyempre, mawabalik ito sa anarchy and international relations kasi sa international system, wala namang higher authorities. The states are the primary actors. In recognition of that, kailangan mag-agree yung mga parties on the manner of conflict or dispute resolution. Hindi na kasi uso yung digmaan na agad. In fact, wala na masyadong interstate war, ano? We can say that in the olden times, it was easy to just go to war. Bakbakan na lang. Tapos, ang mahina, talo. Ngayon, hindi na ganun. Pero ang reality pa rin sa kasalukuyan ay may mga bansang malakas at may mga bansang mahina. So hindi man magirahan yan, possible pa rin na may leverage ang isang bansang kasing laki ng China, halimbawa, over the Philippines, especially kung bilateral lang ang usapan. Meaning, walang intervention ng third party tulad ng ICJ nga. So in these cases, how do we level the playing field? International law is an instrument that actually works to our advantage because it has an equalizing function. Eh. Now, it doesn't matter how. 
large a country you are, the law is the law, right? And and it becomes a matter of how well you actually will the evidence and arguments that you actually make you know, in your behalf as far as trying to convince whoever it is that you're convincing that, that, that your claim to a particular territory is stronger than that of somebody else, right? So in, in that sense, ang ano ng Pilipinas has always been to look at international law as a way by which we can try to settle these kinds of issues. That's why we're always very active in the United Nations. We are always active as far as promoting international arbitration concern. No? And just the idea of signing on to whatever treaties would allow for the minimization of the advantages of power in the way that states actually deal with one another. So that's how we've actually operated as far as the international system is concerned. Now, we tried to be very active in multilateral arrangements and particularly as far as the UN system is actually concerned. Although, of course, we insist on these kinds of mechanisms and then we actually backtrack on other mechanisms that have to do with strengthening international law. But as far as this issue of territorial disputes. Alam natin mali tayong bansa. So the one of the things that I mentioned was of course the idea of just basically strengthening your military and then projecting power, diba? seizing whatever territories and, and be prepared to actually fight for it. We don't have that capability. When you say that we're a small country, basically it, uh, operationally that's what it means, right? We don't have a military that will allow us to intimidate anybody else, especially if you're talking about trying to intimidate a big power. So in which case, we've always we've always relied on international law as a means of actually projecting our positions when it comes to these kinds of issues. According to Sir Herman, we have traditionally resorted to international law in an attempt to resolve our territorial disputes. Siguro referring specifically to the South China Sea dispute, no? Militarily, we cannot respond kasi. We cannot do what China does in our territory. Yung tipong papasok na lang sa mga islands, uh, magtatayo ng outposts, imimilitarize yung territory, magbabantay sa katubigan, and then will threaten anyone who approaches. We just don't have that capacity. Through international law, we can argue the merits of our claims. But interestingly, there are other cases of international territorial disputes in our history. And Sir Herman identifies these cases in the following excerpt. So Indonesia, yeah, we did. And, and it was something that was settled, I think, just a year or two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. No? Um, and, but like I said, that was something that was bilaterally negotiated between the Philippines and Indonesia. And it seemed very uncomplicated, but it still took at least two decades. The one that's continuing is actually the Saba case. So it is still unsettled at this point in time. And I think point that because it's unsettled, the Malaysians are sensitive about it. So in other words, kahit na hindi active yung pursuit natin noong case, alam ng Malaysia that we could do a 180-degree turn and then suddenly try to argue that Sabah is part of the Philippines, right? And then, of course, the other thing over which we, the Philippine government seems to have, I'm not too sure if it's little control, but it's the question of the claim is actually through the heirs of the Sultanate of Sulu. 
right? So, kumbaga, it's not a direct claim of Philippine sovereignty over Sabah. It is a claim of sovereignty, but that is actually made possible or justified, if you will, through the claims of the heirs of the Sultanate of Sulu. The Sultanate does not exist anymore, but the heirs are still there. Right? And the heirs are still saying that's still our heritage, so to speak. So if in passing on, the legal authority to pursue the claim has been given to the Philippine government. Pero, pero ka na rin na kung hindi gagawin ng, ng gobyerno ng Pilipinas to, then we take action, di ba? Para may ganun klaseng vague na threat kung tutuusin. Ano? Ang ano ngayon kasi doon is that if we're looking at that kind of case, it's a little bit more complicated because it's not just, while it seems to involve two states, there is a non-state entity that's actually in the middle of it. So, there are a lot of complications that have to be settled no, as far as that. And even that non-state entity, diba, isang issue sa kanilis, there's no agreement amongst yung heirs. Sino ba talaga yung heir? Parang ganun yung ano. Those are some of the things that complicates the issue. Pero the issue is still there. And I think from a Malaysian standpoint, parang as far as they're concerned, I don't know whether they're interested in settling it once and for all or in their minds it is settled. Amin yaan, hindi na natin kailangan pag-usapan pa. And therefore, this is an internal matter that they expect the Philippine government to actually settle. Yung, yung question ng claim na pinipursue ng ano, nung, nung heirs. No? But that's illustrative of the complications that you might find as far as these kinds of disputes are actually concerned. No? So, I am not sure to what extent you could actually say na Claro yung borders natin as far as Taiwan is concerned. And it, it's complicated, again, no, because of the China-Taiwan issue, right? Yung one-China policy. Na parang, if we're going to clarify our, ano, our borders there, sinong kakausapin natin? Is it China or Taiwan? Diba? Parang ganun yung ano. And because of our one-China policy, we think the policy has been leave it. No, wag na natin pag-usapan muna yan. No, until yung internal issue ng China at Taiwan gets gets settled. So, you can see that we, we do have a number of issues. It's not just the West Philippine Sea that, that's there. But, yun nga, just if you look at the case with Indonesia, naayos naman, or may potential naman na maayos. But it is not as simple as just talking about the issue and settling it. No? There are too many complicating factors in many cases. So maliban sa South China Sea or West Philippine Sea, meron pa tayo with Indonesia na nasettle finally noong 2014, noong panahon ni President Noy Aquino, and then the issue of Sabah. So ito, na-cover na natin somehow uh, yung issue na to dun sa episode natin on Jabi the Massacre last season. And this Sabah claim has already resulted in the souring of our relations with Malaysia noong 1960s. And in fact, kaya rin lumakas yung Moro Liberation Movement is precisely because, sabi nila, when the plan of inciting war in Sabah was revealed, nabaltrip yung Malaysia. So pinondohan nila yung training ng MILF. So kumbaga, parang tit for tat, sabi ng Malaysia. Guguluhin nyo kami, guguluhin din namin kayo. And that was the 1960s, ha? Malaysia was still building itself as a country kasi... Uh, a little over a decade pa lang sila na independent. And with this particular case, we saw some, I would say, uh, disingenuous attempts by Marcos to settle a territorial dispute. What's concerning, however, is that there are still some people who believe that our claim to Saba is valid. In different episodes in our history, bumabalik sa limelight itong Saba claim, tulad na lamang noong 2013, nung nagkaroon ng standoff sa Lahad Datu, when claimants to the throne of the Sultanate of Sulu attempted to assert their claim. Tapos noong 2020, if you remember, our ever-so-diplomatic and honorable Foreign Secretary Tidoro Doxin tweeted that, quote-unquote, Saba does not belong to Malaysia. 
And just recently, nabalita na nagpaplano daw ulit ng takeover itong mga mayor ng Sulu. So, on guard yung mga uh, Malaysians. Very cringy yung episode with Luxin, naalala ko yan. He tweeted that out of nowhere and it caused quite a scandal and controversy and Kuala Lumpur did not take it sitting down, ano? Ewan ko ha, and, and, and I don't know how legal experts see the Saba issue, but we must remember that the people of Saba already see themselves as part of Malaysia in, in many ways. No? Saba joined the Malaysian Federation in 1963. So I think it's rather futile to pursue that claim kasi mismong mga Sabahan na ang nag-decide na hindi sila bahagi ng Pilipinas. So self-determination kung baga. Saka naman, di ba, parang can we lay that claim to rest already? Hindi pa ba sapat na the last time we pursued a claim, Mindanao was plunged to a war that lasted for almost half a century. Saka di ba dapat at this point, mas concerned talaga tayo sa ating exclusive economic zone sa West Philippine Sea? Kasi ito talaga yung garapalan yung nangyayaring nakawan, ano? And maybe just to clarify to our audiences, baka rin kasi naguluhan sila, ano ang pinagkaiba ng South China Sea at West Philippine Sea? Ano nga bali? Well, may nakaaway ako sa Twitter dati about this. Uh, the term West Philippine Sea was first proposed by former Congress Representative Walden Bellio to replace the term South China Sea. Kasi ang argument niya, if for China, this is uh, their South, we must assert that from our perspective, this is our West. And since we claim parts of it, dapat tignan natin yan sa vantage point natin. Later, it evolved as covering the EEZ of the Philippines. So technically, lahat ng claim natin na bahagi ng South China Sea ay West Philippine Sea. Diba, napakaraming ganyang cases ng nomenclature or kung paano tinatawag yung, yung mga territory sa mundo between uh, rival states, quote-unquote. Diba, I'm sure uh, narinig na ng mga tagapakinig natin yung sa Japan and Korea, kung paano nila tinitignan yung waters between them. No? Pag nasa Korea, kaiba yung tawag. Pero pag nasa Japan, kaiba rin yung tawag. At napaka-politically charged mm. ng mga ganitong conversation. Kaya rin, uh, napaka-politicized rin nung, nung pagtawag sa teritory. Kaya nga may nakaaway si Lee noon. Diba? So, at this point, I must highlight that we were awarded a number of our claims in the West Philippine Sea through an arbitration by the Permanent Court of Arbitration noong 2016. Uh, this was a very contentious process that China did not participate in and thus, they do not recognize the ruling. Although the arbitration has argued that according to the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, they have jurisdiction to consider some of the submissions of the Philippines to the arbitration. So China does not recognize the ruling, but there are countries that support it, kasama na ang United States, UK, Japan, Australia, Canada, Germany, at iba pa. Marami sila. Ano. So yung tanong, kasama ba yung Pilipinas? Well, kamalas-malasan, si Duterte na ang president nung lumabas itong ruling na ito. He said he was setting aside the ruling in favor of bilateral talks with China in what scholars referred to as Duterte's pivot to China to maximize the potential gains from the superpower, di umano. So whatever happened to these gains, ano? kasi according sa mga experts, parang wala naman halos nagmaterialize. And yet, Duterte won through a platform of riding a jet ski to our disputed territories. Ano? Such irony. Another cringe moment, diba? So eto na nga, paparating na ang eleksyon. We asked Sir Herman two questions related to this. First, we asked him, how important is it for everyday Filipinos to know the stance of our candidates 
relating to our foreign policy. This was his response. Mahirap akong sumagot diyan kasi kung ako may bias ako, hmm. no? Para sa akin importante, no? Uh, kasi unang-una, interesado ako personally dito sa mga issues na ito. Pero may iba iba't ibang layers ng ano diyan. So me- medyo medyo hindi ko masabi na simple ito, no? Kasi um, ang pinaka-simpleng issue para sa mga tao kasi ay may kinalaman ba yan sa Chanco? Parang ganun 'yon eh. Iba? Parang ang tanong ay kung ang isang kandidato na tumatakbo Meron siyang foreign policy issue na paalamin ko. Yan ba ay magkakaroon ng epekto dun sa kalagayan ng pamilya ko? Yung aming um, makakakain ba sila? Magkaginhawa mag, 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 mga buhay nila? And so on. Kasi nandun tayo sa level na yun. Eh, uh, ng parang, pag, pag, parang ang mga botante natin, generally speaking, a large number of them are at that level of consideration na parang whenever I actually choose a candidate, sometimes it's a very certain choice-making process. So which means na parang when you look at foreign policy and elections in the Philippines, hindi masyadong malaki yung convergence between the two. Choices made by Filipinos no, as to who, which candidate they actually will vote for usually has nothing to do or very little to do with the foreign policy positions not taken by these candidates. So that's, that's, that's one you know, um, na, na pwede, pwede natin isipin doon. But this goes back to the question, importante ba siya? Para sa akin, oo, importante siya. So anong ibig sabihin nun? Importante siya kasi may kinalaman ito sa a number of things. No? When you're talking about the strategic situation, pinag-uusapan natin dyan ay yung mga kinabukasan ng mga anak natin, yung klase ng sitwasyon na inaarap ng bansa natin pag sila na yung buhay na nila pinag-uusapan. Diba? So, ang foreign policy issues, usually strategic, dapat ang consideration para dyan. So, ang pinag-iisipan natin talaga ay nasa ng Pilipinas, no, sa sitwasyon na ito sa mundo, at ano ang magiging implikasyon nito para sa mga sa kinabukasan ng mga anak natin. Basically, that's how I would look at it. And on those grounds, I would say na importante siya. No, na kailangan kung hindi siya yung pinaka-importante konsiderasyon ng botante, medyo malaking bahagi siya noong mga bagay na iniisip ko kung mamimili ako ng sining bobotohin ko. Parang gusto ko malaman ano yung position mo pagdating dito sa foreign policy natin para malaman ko kung ano nang hinaharap ng aking anak ng sakasakali. para meron ka bang mga position na makakasama sa kinabukasan nila. Diba? Yan yung isang ano. So, yun yung sa akin. No? Na parang parang ano, mahalaga siya. I, I think kung may gap tayo, diba? obviously may gap eh. So, ang, ang ordinaryong botante, ang tingin natin, tama o mali, no? ang tingin natin ay hindi ganun kataas sa priorities niya sa pagpili ng kandidato yung foreign policy position ng mga kandidato. But at the same time, sinasabi ko na importante yan kasi long-term, strategic, ano yan, yung hinaharap na kabuhayan ng mga anak natin, etc. So, ibig sabihin nun, importante na makumbinse, kailangan ma-educate ang mga, mga Pilipino bakit mahalaga yung foreign policy sa kanilang pagtingin na so sino yung mga bobotohin nila. Bakit kailangan isa to sa mga issues na kailangan nilang pag-isipan kung kinakalkula nila kung paanong makakabuti ang pagpili nila sa isang kandidato kumpara doon sa iba. So, voter education, partly, ano yung mga issues na kailangan na iniisip nila? And para sa akin, foreign policy yung isa dyan. The second question we asked him was, anong mga foreign policy issues ang kailangan i-bring up at pag-usapan, lalo na at paparating na ang eleksyon? 
Siyempre, West Philippine Sea, isang issue yan na mahalaga talaga. Pero ang isang problema dyan, it gets reduced. Eh. Y- yun yung isang problema natin. In an election campaign, things get reduced to its simplest ano, formulation. And ang simpleng, pinakasimpleng formulation kasi nung sa West Philippine Sea, US ba o China? Sino yung kakampi natin dito sa ano yun? Which is really not the right way to look at things. no? Kasi parang ang ano dun ay, like for instance, the current president actually, nung nangampanya siya, ano niya is, Jetski ako doon, no? na parang kung tutuusin, dapat doon pala, alam natin, nagbubulahan na tayo eh, di ba? Yung may ano doon eh. Pero pangalawa, nung naging presidente na siya, ang naging posisyon niya ay, well, baka mas mabuti na mas pagtingin natin yung relasyon natin sa China, no? para mas mabuti na magkakausap tayo, which I agree with completely. But the other side of it was, ang US, madami itong kalukuhan na ginawa sa atin. Eh. Kaya dapat pagbayarin natin sila, pumalis sila dito. So parang hindi mo tuloy maintindihan, ano ba talaga yung gusto niyang gawin doon sa ano na yun. Pwede, pwede, pwede naman na susuyuin mo ang, ano, ang China, pero hindi mo naman kailangan na uh, anuhin mo ang, ang US. Di ba? Lalo na sinasabi nila na ang ating foreign policy is to be an enemy to no one no, and friend to all. Di ba? Parang ganun, ay just me yun. Tas, tas uh, ano mo insultuhin mo ang US di ba so so parang it's it's really funny when you look at that but i think ang problema natin kasi with something like the west philippine sea for instance no, as an issue and and i think the west philippine sea issue for us while it is about china to a large extent at the more strategic level it is about the US and China. To what extent do you want the competition and the rivalry between China and the United States to be the defining relationship in the strategic environment that we actually have? So para sa akin, kung ang conversations natin will just be about China and the United States, we're buying into that, right? Yun yung pinakaan natin. So para sa akin, ano ang pwede natin gawin na hindi natin kailangan mamili between China and the United States but at the same time, ano ba yung gusto natin mangyari? Obviously, ang gusto mangyari ay kung ano man ang pupuntahan itong rival nito, hindi ito magiging rason kung bakit magkakaroon ng gera dito sa, dito sa region na ito. So, paano mo ngayon masisiguro na may role ka doon sa proseso na yon? Normally, I'd argue na ang ASEAN dapat kasama dyan sa anong yan. It should play a role in trying to actually make sure that this rivalry is not going to escalate to a point where there will be conflict. No? But the problem with ASEAN is nakahati siya eh. Di ba? Parang right now, its members are actually being forced to take one side or the other, no? given itong sitwasyon na to. So it's becoming more and more difficult to actually play that kind of role. But at the same time, It doesn't help when we ourselves play that game. I think it's okay for us to protest yung ginagawa ng China doon sa ano yun. But at the same time, medyo mag-ingat din tayo doon sa ating rhetoric about welcoming all of the things that the United States is doing to strengthen its presence, to strengthen its military capability in the region. Because when we do that, we are actually facilitating yung justification for the actions of the United States that are directed against China, which of course invites China to retaliate. Diba? Parang ganun yung standard. I really find it difficult kasi para sa akin. No? Parang of course, comfortable tayo sa US. That has been our comfort zone as far as our foreign policy is actually concerned. But 
actually taking the side of the United States in all of the actions that it's taking, it is not helping the region in terms of becoming more stable and less inclined towards escalating itong, itong competition na ito, itong rivalry na ito. So, to my mind, the first thing that we need to do is, okay, let's define for ourselves what kind of strategic environment do we think would be most beneficial for us? Ano yung gusto natin na maging outcome of our foreign policy initiatives? No? Eh, kasi parang tingin ko, tingin ko masyadong short-term lahat ng iniisip natin eh, kung ano yung gusto na susunod na administrasyon. But I think that's, that's the point, right? Na parang if we're looking at these things, no, it cannot be short term. We have to have a sense of anong classing environment ba ang gusto natin na magkaroon as far as our foreign policy environment is concerned. And how do we work towards that? Ano yung mga initiatives na pwede natin itulak tungkol doon? Is it ASEAN? Is it working with South Korea? Is it working with whoever else? No? In fact, it might be good to actually just strengthen a relationship with China, but at the same time, make sure that a relationship with the United States remains where it is right now. So parang it's not a zero-sum, or we shouldn't see it as a zero-sum thing. But ayun nga, kuminsan ang, ang, ang ano kasi natin is may tendency try na isipin na uh, it's one or the other, yun yung ano natin, diba? But But the most important thing I think is we have to define for ourselves what kind of foreign policy environment do we want to have in the region? And then, having defined that, how do we actually work towards it? Ano yung mga mekanismo na ano natin? Kasi sa tingin ko, that's the reason why I think ang ano nga is reactive lang tayo. Eh. Pinapabayaan lang natin kung saan man yung takbo ng agos ng tubig doon lang tayo. Parang ganyan nangyayari. With these insights from Sir Herman, kitang-kita mo kung gaano kalaking nightmare sa foreign policy natin si Duterte. No? Striking sa akin yung sinabi niya na Wherever this rivalry between China and the U.S. goes, we should secure our position na hindi tayo at the losing end. Because it is a game. And we need a leader who could play this game while representing our values and interests. Hindi tulad ni Duterte na pabida, padiviant, at pa-edgelord at some point. Hmm. Saka nabanggit nga din ni Sir Herman na dapat hindi short term ang tingin natin sa foreign policy. No? So, Unlike the current administration who tried to gain favors from China to secure easy wins like funding for the build 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 na hindi naman nagmamaterialize masyado uh, kailangan natin ng leader na titingin sa mas malaking picture beyond their 6 year term limit. I agree with all those points. This has been a very enlightening topic for me. So maraming salamat kay Professor Herman Joseph Kraft for lending us his expertise for this episode. Ang masabi ko lang talaga, and this is my last point, ano, sana naman, yung gusunod nating presidente ay yung kaya tayong katawanin sa international community. Diba? Parang sobrang basic nun. So to my fellow Filipino voters, I am hopeful that you know this could happen next year. And speaking of next year, we have a surprise for all of our listeners. Yes, magbabalik ang hindi na bago yan sa March 2022. Marami pa tayong mga issue at topics na pag-uusapan at iuugat sa kasaysayan bago mag-eleksyon. Kaya asahan nyo, kasama nyo kami upang pag-usapan natin ito. But for now, abangan nyo ang surprise namin next year na next week na pala. Ano? <laughs> so for now, please like, comment, and subscribe to our social media pages. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we're also on YouTube. Check out our channel, Podcast TV. And if you want to listen to our full interview with Herman Kraft, visit our website, podcast.org. Muli, see you next year and have a great holidays.